0: Hi everyone. My name is Marilyn Zachauer. I'm the CEO of Cosmic Centers and this is the Center Stage podcast.
1: <laughs>
0: a show where I invite incredible guests to come explore bold ideas about the future of work and learning with me. Today, we're going to talk about the future of workshops and facilitation. I'm joined by Dr. Miriam Hadness, who is a behavioral economist by training, a podcaster by passion, and a facilitator by profession. She's German by birth and Amsterdamer by choice. Before starting her solo business, Miriam had a career in higher ed and research, which allowed her to work, live and explore in Vietnam, Burkina Faso and Luxembourg. Today, Miriam is the founder of Workshops Work, where she helps people set up their workshops and make them, for lack of a better word, work. Miriam is also the host of the Workshops Work podcast. And I discovered her amazing work. When I attended the Never Been Done Festival that she put together last year in November as she was trying to reimagine what the future of facilitation would look like now that we were all forced out of the conference rooms. When I attended the festival and the sessions leading up to it, I was really mind blown by the tools and virtual spaces that Miriam allowed us to explore. Miriam is an incredibly curious and passionate person, and she always is the first person to try new things. So she brought us into virtual spaces where we had avatars that had, you know, purple skin and really cool clothing. And we could, for the first time really since the beginning of the pandemic, experience what it would be like to have some form of embodiment in a shared space with others, even though we were sitting behind our screens at home. She took us onto an island where we had an avatar that looked like a strange robot with a television for a face. And we got to experience... What it would look like to jump into conversations as our bodies moved through space and we heard other people's chatter and to have a much more natural way of engaging than just being a flat rectangle on a Zoom screen. Not only was she curious about how to design these virtual spaces and how to engage with them but also about all sorts of ways in which we could bring our humanity back into the exercise. I have to say, in many of those experiences, even though I was together with complete strangers, I often felt so close to these strangers that I would leave the sessions thinking, wow, how can I take that intimacy that the sessions of the Never Done Before Festival had created for me and actually bring it into the real world? Without further ado, here's my conversation with Miriam. Well, Miriam, I'm so happy to have
1: you here. Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: Miriam, I'm a teacher, I'm a podcast host, I'm a team leader, I'm a moderator, and I know how important it is to create amazing learning experiences that are engaging and insightful. As I was pursuing, you know, my own learning curve uh, around facilitation, that's, you know, how I discovered you and discovered your amazing podcast and then followed you, and then that led to me taking part in the never-done-before Facilitation Festival, and I remember I come back to my teams and I was always mind blown, especially because I was part of the co-design piece. Just for everybody here who doesn't know what we're talking about, can you explain to everyone what the Never Done Before Festival was? How you thought about it? How you structured it? I really feel like you need to help me put this in a nugget for everyone because it was such a rich
1: experience. Thank you. I'm glad that it inspired you so much. In a nutshell, it was basically a festival or a conference to share the best practices of facilitation. And I invited my podcast guests to be the speakers. And never before started There's a working title because I realized that every time I went to a conference um, about facilitation, I came back with this feeling of been there, done that. I thought that my guests on the podcast, they have so much to share. And what they have shared on the recording is only a fraction of what they can do. And usually for clients, we always, as facilitators, tend to deliver the same things. And we lack the space to experiment and to play and to try out new things. So I thought, what if we gave them a stage to try formats that they've never done before? It first was supposed to happen live in the physical world in Amsterdam. And then we had to pivot. I was part of the virtual collaboration campus in March when Corona just started in Europe. And I realized what there is we can do online. So um, then Oscar Trimboli one guest, he convinced me to bring it online. And we thought, okay, it's gonna be global. It's gonna be never done before. Hence it needs to be 24 hours. It needs to be crazy. And this was basically the start. And then maybe since you um, mentioned the co-design process and I think that's at the heart. So the question was, how do we know whether people actually want that? (laughs) What is the minimum viable product? How do we know what they actually, what our audience wants to learn? We thought, of turning it around. And instead of offering a lineup and an agenda, we asked the audience what they would like to experience. So we invited them to join a co design process. So for a small fee of 20 euros, we invited you guys to tell us what you want to learn. And we thought it's going to be a one off session, co design session, just let's ideate. And it was so cool. There was such a positive spirit of just exploration and experimentation that we thought, why stopping after one session? Let's continue. So it became a co-design process until the festival. I participated
0: in a a few of these co-design sessions and it was just so refreshing to be not just sitting there receiving things, but contributing to them and being able to shape what it was going to look like. But also you guys did so many of these things in really interesting virtual spaces that ended up becoming part of the festival. What were some of the things that really surprised you or surprised attendees? And I'll I'll share a little bit of my own experience as
1: well. The idea was that we want participants to dive into the festival and to explore and make them not want to leave. But I realized that whenever I joined an online conference, as much as I might enjoy the the workshop in that moment, the second it's over, I'm back in my own living room. And I'm totally disconnected from what's happening. So we thought, what can be the connector? What can be the environment that makes participants want to stick around and that connects the different sessions? And I did this with uh, Shane Smart, who is basically the genius behind all these murals. And we thought, okay, so we need a space that makes participants curious enough to explore and to stay there. And on Mule, you see all the small curses. So you see exactly who is in the space at the time and where they're going and where they're exploring. And then since all of our facilitators were guests on the podcast, they received a studio. And I think it was um, Ben who came up with the idea, that we give them a space where they can basically showcase themselves. So they're not strangers. They all have a podcast episode. And what do they stand for? How would it be for a festival guest if we could look behind the scenes and learn a little bit about the person who's going to host the workshop? And then it was in a co-design session that the idea came up that we need a space to reflect so very often they workshop, and it was in the design session that someone came up with a learning journal so how would a learning journal then look like and then this was when i sat together with shane and with ben the ux team and the mural team how can we make it entertaining how can we integrate the learning experience and how to use mural and how can we make it also applicable to organize the festival beforehand
0: and so you created this mural there and each facilitator has this kind of like apartment so to speak on different levels and you can visit their spaces and they put up things and of course there's a link to their video or their session and you know all the stuff you need to know for the actual session but to your point like this idea of lingering of course, it was a 24-hour festival, so I didn't watch every session. And then when I came back and got this mural, I'm like, oh my God, it's like being inside somebody's home, you know, being in their space. And to your point, like, I felt like I was in their space, not in mine anymore. And the ability to explore and see what little trinkets they left there and whether there was any Easter eggs to be found in the space and the notes that they took. And Even though I don't know these people, you know, for many of them, I just felt connected to who they are as a human, which was such a strange feeling to be having sitting at my desk looking at a screen, you
1: know, a very beautiful one at that. I'm so glad that you're saying that because also in the co-design session, what came out was that it's actually the connection that counts and the main expectation from such a festival from the participants was connection over content. How can we actually design or facilitate this human connection to the facilitators, but also amongst the participants. And if the yeah. studio helped to make this connection, it makes me very happy.
0: Yeah, and it's incredible because it also creates it asynchronously. Like it's not even that I know that the other people are there at this moment and therefore I have to be present. It's also I can return to the space that we created together and be in it again and remember the things that we said or the thoughts that I had. And so I just found that experience so compelling for me. We had quite a few different virtual spaces also. So Miro obviously is a flat space, but we could visit different studios. Uh, But there was also like Teo, there was uh, Borel, where we had an island to kind of hang out. Uh, And I experienced both of those. Let me try and describe. I'll start with Teo. So in Teo, what you do is you walk into a virtual space. It's set up in different ways. So the one that I joined was set up like a conference with the ballroom set up. So round tables and a stage. And You have an avatar so you can play around with that. Mine had pink hair and purple skin, whatever. And then you can move around the tables. And when you're at a table, you get to speak to the other people who are there, but you can't hear everybody else. It's like a breakout room, but it's really interesting because you still have the sense of the other people who are there and you see them reacting and talking and whatever it is. And then if somebody is up on the stage and they're talking, then everybody can hear them. It mimics that sort of embodied experience of being in a conference. Tell me about that experience and what you heard and what participants said about it. For me, it was incredible because after months and months and months of sitting in Zoom breakout rooms, which are magical, you know, they work really well. That's amazing. The idea of like my body being aware of other people's
1: body in that space was incredible. Mm. What were your thoughts? What surprised you about it? What I found interesting is the reaction of Season facilitators to a new platform that is totally different from everything they have experienced so far. So on Teo, you don't have video. So the only visual you have is this avatar, which obviously doesn't react to how you react. It's an AI that is kind of making it up. You have different emoticons um, or emojis that you can share to express your instant feelings or a question or something. From a host perspective, in the beginning, it just felt like herding cats. You don't have the visual clue and you need to find out where you have to locate yourself in order to be heard by everyone. And still you don't want to interrupt the flow. So if mm-hmm. I move on stage where for sure everyone at, around the tables will hear me, I have to be very conscious about the fact that they might be in the middle of a different conversation. So if I start speaking, then I interrupt them and I don't know, and I don't hear their noise. And at the same time, when I'm around a table and there's someone on stage who wants to share something as a participant, then at the table, they really have to be silent because otherwise they're disturbing the person on stage who wants to speak. At the same time, rules that apply that would be valid to the physical world, I would say, Mm -hmm. but in this avatar space, it feels as if you need to remind yourself and the participants about these rules. That's very true. Participants, I think they had very mixed feelings. There were some who just loved it because you you don't need to look good, right? Mm -hmm. They're in your pyjama. Nobody looks at the environment where you're in. You don't have to put a green screen. You can even walk around at the same time And therefore, you can be very focused because there is no distraction. You don't open other tabs. You're just in this world. And others felt very disconnected because they actually missed the visual clue of seeing Mm -hmm. facial expressions of the others. It reminded me of the fact that depending on the purpose of why we meet, we have to choose carefully the tool we're using. Yeah. And that brings me
0: actually to the island, which was Mm -hmm. a very different tools. So I'll describe that as well. So it's a virtual world. Um, Again, both of those worlds have very, I'm going to say, crappy rendering on purpose. Like they look like a game and an old one at that. Like it's not like a PlayStation super highly rendered world. That's fine. It's fine because actually you're playing. It doesn't matter that it looks like the real world. So in this one, you also have a body. In our case, it was like a robot with a TV as a head. So our video was there. You could see us. We were like on wobbling TV heads, but it's an island and it's a space. And you can kind of walk through the space. Sometimes there's a few objects. You, you can pick them up and wear a hat or whatever. But the really amazing thing about the purpose of this tool is that when you get closer to somebody, their volume goes up. It mimics that kind of pre-conference vibe where you're in the room with a lot of people and different people are having different conversations and you can join one and leave one. And it's it's not as, you know, you have to sit on the table to hear what people are saying, but more more natural in that sense. Also, messier and chaotic which you know a pre-conference room is always chaotic and that's another very completely different purpose. Talk to me about how you involved people in that space and and how you ended up using it in the conference as well.
1: So we used it to experiment pre-conference when I first went on Borrel And I think they changed the name in the meantime. So I first went to this island and I was just blown away because you can have the embodied experience. Again, in one of the co-design sessions, participants mentioned that they are missing this turn to your neighbor moment. When I speak to you, I look at you. And when I speak to my neighbor, I look in a different direction. Everyone knows who I'm talking to. Impossible in Zoom because it's just flat. Impossible in Teo because you don't have the video. Perfectly possible on border because you have this avatar with a video in your head as a kind of screen yeah. and if you turn your avatar to the side, you would really focus on the person you want to address. what is also nice is as you said that you can you can really have this play with proximity and in the onboarding on the island, what I usually like to do is an icebreaker energizer exercise where I ask participants to pair up and to just play with distance. Okay, how does it feel when I come very, very close? <laughs> it feels almost intimidating. And then it's true. You take your avatar and you go back because it's too close. How does it feel when you turn to someone else to address them? How does it feel when you eventually form a circle? And then it's beautiful to observe that when one more participant joins, suddenly the circle opens and yeah. makes space to accommodate this extra person. I think it's more gentle in terms of group experience because on Zoom you appear and you're on the screen and you're there, but you don't have this welcoming kind of almost routine or ritual that you open the Mm -hmm. circle and welcome someone um, as part of the group. I also
0: projected that this would be a great tool for end of year kind of office parties because even though you're sitting alone in your house you can see a colleague and be like oh i haven't seen you in a while and just like walk up to them i wish you could see them from the back too that's always a bit clunky but it'll get there it just felt like a space where you could like behave more naturally in a group setting and i have another question for you i know that you experimented with a lot of different kinds of embodiment things like part of it was you you created these cards that people could print at home and use to, you know, express reactions. I know you had a cooking session planned and of course all of these different virtual reality kind of spaces where you could experience things as if you were experiencing with your body. I found that to be a theme that I kept, you know, obsessing about and coming back to. How do you think that facilitators but I think also even just people in their having a Zoom call with colleagues about whatever can integrate this embodiment experience and what do you think are the benefits of, of doing that at the moment?
1: It was someone who inspired me, maybe it was Mary Alice who had um, these kind of sticks with analog prompts and it was uh, Jacinta Kubis uh, with her, I had a podcast interview about using analog things for the mm. video. And I think they're just any form of surprise that we can add to just the normal meeting spice it up and have the impression that very often we're too concerned to be too serious and yes topics are serious yes we have to have very conversations but we're still human our brain functions better if we spice it up a little bit we bring some light and some humanness in i think bringing in something analog to react makes it more human and more surprising and to experiment with Different platforms for me as a facilitator, they're different levels. On the one hand, it's to train the skill of being uncomfortable and experimenting with new tools. I think this nimble facilitation, okay, if something goes wrong, how do I react? How do I manage to communicate when I don't have video? I communicate if if not everyone can hear me to the same extent what are the rules that I have to set how do I onboard the participants I think that's even if you then just go on a normal zoom call you have a different perception and a broader view and maybe even compassion to the participants and I think it also taught me as I mentioned before to be more mindful of choosing the tool according to the purpose of the call. So as you said, the island is perfect for leisure activities or after-work drinks. And that's actually where the name comes from. So Borrel is the Dutch name for after-work drinks at five. I didn't know that. So Vincent, there's also Toasty where you can have all these integrated games and prompting cards, which is fantastic to connect participants and to create the safe space, I would not necessarily use it for leadership board strategy discussion of course. and I wonder where you have the law of to be where you can just wander around what we used for our library cafe. Mm-hmm which is nice because you see who's there and you can choose the space and define spaces on conversation topics. Mm-hmm. Um, and then everyone is free to join the conversation they want and still have the overview of what's going on that you don't have, for, for instance.
0: I get that. I'm going to take a question from the audience, actually, which is a question that I wanted to ask anyway, so I'm happy it's there. The question is, what are some of the things that work better in virtual facilitation? And what are those aspects of the in-person experience that you're still trying to recreate virtually? Mm-hmm. And if there's a difference at all. I mean, I know that um, you know virtual is between brackets, and, and I'd love to get your thoughts on that.
1: I love the question. And I think from the facilitation perspective... I think not so much has changed. I think meetings that were boring and energy suckers in the physical world are as boring as energy sucking in the virtual world. It just becomes more apparent. It, the virtual world is an amplifier. Our opportunity costs of joining a meeting when working from home are higher. Because whether I sit in my office and I walk to the meeting room and I sit in a bad meeting, well, I'm at the office anyway. If the alternative of being in a boring Zoom call is sitting on my couch and having a wonderful conversation with my family or reading a book, oh, that's a different story. bad online meeting is much more painful because you know what else there could be. What I like to, to know, and I think it was Melissa Dinwiddie in a podcast interview who made me aware, she said, we're always trying to find out how we can translate our physical meetings into the online world instead of asking what is there in the online world that we cannot do online. So, for instance, the breakout rooms. You can have small groups. You can turn to your neighbor in a physical workshop. You will always kind of hear the others in the background. You'll always hear, maybe, or feel this promo. They seem to have more fun. They are laughing. They're crying. Why are they so emotional, but we are not? So you're constantly kind of hearing somewhere else. And there's also this fear of, what if everyone listens? So you wouldn't speak as openly in a small group in the physical space as you do in a, in a breakout room right. because in the breakout room nobody listens for sure. So magic things happen there. And I think this is something that is so easy to do and is, yeah, under underrated. Also, I think what we do in the virtual is just to increase the pace because we mm-hmm. don't to, to walk in, we don't need to reshuffle the space, move flip charts around to clean up. So um, the pace of how we structure a workshop can be much faster. Um, yeah, we can music easier. We can use prompts, play videos. Um, so all these kind of multimedia effects easier to use. Yeah, I think these are the basic things yeah. that I enjoy.
0: Thank you for yeah. that answer. I think that makes a lot of sense to try and see what the online world provides for us that we couldn't have done otherwise. I have one last question for you, Mariam. Um, I want you to complete a sentence and then explain the choice of words. Uh, so the future of facilitation is... Dot, dot, dot.
1: The future of facilitation is that's a management skill, just like presentation skills. The future of facilitation is that there's no job opening for a management or leadership position without naming facilitation as one key skill that is required.
0: I really enjoyed my conversation with Miriam. I love what she said at the end. The future of facilitation is that it's going to be a required skill set for any manager. And no matter what the future looks like, whether we end up going back into the office full-time or not, whether we stay fully remote, whether we explore some kind of hybrid situation, the truth is that the world is a global place. As leaders and managers work hard to accomplish business goals, to live up to their purpose, they will need to inspire others. That skill has been a requirement forever. And as always, perhaps the pandemic has made things that were always lingering in the background obvious to us. But I really think that great leaders are great facilitators because leadership isn't about being the smartest person in the room. It's about letting the people around you become the smartest people in the room and creating a place for them to do that. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think that leaders should always be in their facilitator persona. Sometimes leaders need to be commanders. Sometimes they need to be teachers. Sometimes they need to be coaches. But they definitely also need to be incredible facilitators. And that is an important lesson to take away from this conversation. My name is Marilyn Zachauer, and you were listening to Center Stage the podcast a show where we explore the bold ideas around the future of work and learning please make sure you hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to your podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify on Deezer, on Google Podcasts on Stitcher or anywhere else Also, make sure to follow our company Cosmic Centres, where my amazing team and I share content, frameworks and articles to support you in leading your team in the new world of work You can find us on CosmicCentors.com or on all social channels including LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook Twitter and Instagram on at Cosmic Centres. that's C-O-S-M-I-C-C-E-N-T I'll see you all in our next episode where I will be joined by Prof. José Santos, an affiliated professor of practice in global management at INSEAD, where we talk about agile teaching. See you then.